Noakes Ministry, and Brother Keith said he would like to have some company this afternoon. Monday, January the 3rd, SPRC meeting, and all of the committee members meet Monday. And no Jubilee Wednesday this week. <clears throat> Next week, January the 5th, we'll be back at Trinity for Jubilee Wednesday. And I'd like to say this about Jubilee Wednesdays. Uh, it, it's a little hard for working folks to get here at 530. And uh, it, at the meal. So we have the meal at 530 and classes about 630. And some people come for the class and uh, at 630, the ones that can't get here time for the meal. But anyway, uh, and some people come for the meal at 5.30 just for the fellowship. And uh, we welcome that. We welcome any and all and encourage you to come. So anybody's not coming on Wednesday night, you're, you're missing a great opportunity. Uh, there, are, there are classes. Brother Keith has a class. And uh, if you... If you've got a biblical question, uh, you can get it answered. Uh, so far, I haven't seen Brother Keith not have an answer. And if it's a really tough question, he, I'm sure he'll research it and find an answer. But, uh, you can have some one-on-one -on -one time with Brother Keith, even though there might be 10 other people in the class. Uh, he will take the time to explain and uh, and. Uh, he will be satisfied that you have the right answers. Uh, and we're thankful, I'm thankful, that Brother Keith and Janice make themselves available for Wednesday nights uh, for this ministry. And uh, I say Janice because we don't, she don't get enough credit for uh, everything she does. She operates behind the scenes, so... Thanks, thank you, both of you, for what you do. Any more announcements? Let us worship.
we come to you this day knowing that many of our crowd is not here with us for whatever reason, knowing that it is the day after Christmas, which is a tough day. We're tired. We're exhausted from running back and forth here and there. But isn't it good that we serve a God that is never tired or exhausted? Isn't it good that we serve a Lord and Savior who is always willing, ready, and able to meet us right where we are? Isn't it good that we serve a Lord who loves us beyond measure? So as we come together this day, though we may be smaller in number than normal on this day, smaller in number that we want to be, help us to know that you have been here. You have been with us. You have followed after us. You have chased after us at times. And times you have stood with your arms open wide and said, come back home. So that's what we ask this day, that we would come back home to you. And we ask it in your name and for our sake. Amen. Let me ask you to turn in your hymnal to look at the screen to the Apostles' Creed, number 881. As we begin, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born to the Virgin Mary, suffered unto Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he arose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So what is today? It's Sunday, right? And what was yesterday? Christmas. And did you celebrate Christmas? Were you good, James? But now you know the bad news? You were good all last week, and yesterday was Christmas. Now you got to be good all, all for a whole other year. we got to start working on next Christmas now. I guess I was pretty good. I got a couple of things, so I guess I was pretty good. So what does it mean to be good for Christmas? What do, why, are we, why do we want to be good? So we get presents, right? Okay. Aren't you glad that God doesn't judge us that way? That God doesn't look at us and go, well, you haven't been good enough, so I'm not going to give you eternal life. Aren't you glad that God doesn't look at us and say, you hadn't been good enough, so you can't come live with me in heaven? Wouldn't that be terrible? But what did, what did God do so that we could be made good enough? Because we're, we're not good enough by ourselves. I'm, I'm never good enough. You're never good enough. No one out here is ever good enough. So what did God do to make us good enough? That is, a, yay, that is a great answer. He sent his only begotten son to die in our place for our sins. There it is in a nutshell. I could go home. I don't have to say anything else. <laughs> but aren't you glad that we don't have to be good for God the way we thought as children we had to be good for Christmas? God loves us so much that he's always going to love us. He's always going to be there with us. And you know what he's always going to do? He's always going to open his arms up and say, come back home again. Okay? Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And we are so glad, so, so glad that we don't have to try to be good enough because we can't be. 
nothing we could do, nothing we could buy, nothing we could sell, nothing we could earn, nothing we could work for. There was absolutely nothing we could do that would allow us to come into the presence of God except for his son, Jesus Christ. So help us to remember that in this Advent season that we have just completed, that God sent a gift great enough and good enough to cover for my sins. And his name was Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So be with us and watch over us. We ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you. Let us pray. Lord, we adore you. I praise your name above all names. God, I thank you the work and the power you're doing in my life and our lives. Lord, you alone are God, and I worship you this moment. Amen. Hear the word of God in Psalms 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise the Lord in the heights. Praise, praise the, the Lord, all his angels. Praise the Lord, all his hosts. Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise the Lord, all shining stars. Praise the Lord, highest heavens and all water above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord who commanded and they were created. Who established them forever and ever and fixed their bounds which cannot be passed. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and smoke, stormy wind, fulfilling God's command. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying birds. Kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth. Young men and maidens together. Let them praise the name of the Lord, whose name alone is exalted, whose glory is above earth and heaven. God has raised up his horn for his people. Praise for all his faithful ones, for the people of Israel who are near their God. Praise the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Hear the prayers of the people this day. We continue to lift up our local churches in the Tennessee River District. This day we lift up Keys Chapel and Mount Pleasant, whose pastor is Ms. Rose Taylor. We lift up the Mathis family, Julia Hill in ICU, uh, Ashley Pugh, Richard Stead, Donna Newman, uh, Dr. Orman. Are there any others that you would add to the list this day? Yes, Dr. Orman Campbell. Are there any others? We have many, many missing today. So, Belene Hemby, right. And Danny, and Danny Jones, okay. Please be in prayer for the family of Belene Hemby, uh, who is Renee Thomas's mother, and also for Danny Jones. Are there any others? Hey, let's pray together. Lord, we stand before you not because of our own strength, not because we're able to stand. We stand before you because you love us enough to hold us upright. You love us enough that we can stand before you. You love us enough that we are able to stand before you because it is not anything in our own strength. Philippians 4.13 tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Notice it does not say I can do all things through my own strength. What it says is, I need the Lord. There was a song that came out many years ago, several years ago, called People Need the Lord. And it talked about that we need the Lord. We need his help. We need his understanding. We need his love. We need desperately his grace and mercy. So every name that has been lifted up, every circumstance that we were not aware of, you already know. Nothing caught you unawares. Nothing caught you by surprise. There was not a single name lifted up that you looked and said, I didn't know that, because you know all things. 
But what you also know is that we are prone to wander. That's what the hymn says. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So many times we have in the church what I call one-third Christians. You may be thinking, what in the world is a one-third Christian? That's someone who comes one Sunday, then you don't see them again for three more. It's a one-third Christian. Help us to realize what a world of hurt we would be in if we served a God who was a one-third God. What if God only answered on the first Sunday of each month? What if God only answered sometimes? What if God only heard our prayer sometimes? But yet we live in such a way that the world looks at us and goes, is this all there is? Is this all that is changed in the life of the church? Help us, Lord, to realize that we need to be the people of God 24-7, every moment of every day. It's not easy. It's okay. It wasn't supposed to be easy. There are going to be trials. There are going to be tribulations. There are going to be times that we are hurting and we wonder if God still loves us. And the answer will be a resounding yes. So be with us, watch over us, and keep us. Now hear us as we pray the way you talk to your disciples to pray. Saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Would our ushers come forward at this time? Lord, we ask that you would bless these gifts and tithes and offerings that are about to be given back to you, that we would be cheerful givers, giving because of what you have already given us in abundance. And we ask, Lord, these things in your name and for our sake. Amen.
Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance, all is good mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Now, what we think of as a Christmas verse, we'd be hard-pressed to think of it as a Christmas verse at all. And it's very short. Here's what it says. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Again, my little children... For whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, the calendar says that Christmas has come and gone. It's over with. It's finished. Like I told Savannah and James, now they've got to start being good for a whole other year. I've got to start being good for a whole other year. What does it mean when I say Christmas has come and gone? What does it mean when you look at the title of the sermon that's on your screen right now and it says, has Christmas really come? You're sitting there thinking, well, well, of course, Brother Keith, it came yesterday. Have you already slept and forgotten? Christmas has come. One of the things that happens with preachers at this time of the year, 
not only this time of year, but also Easter, is we get a little uptight. We get a little nervous. Why? Not because there's a lot going on, even though there is and has been a lot going on. In fact, Janice this morning woke up. I woke up. She looked at me. She didn't gasp in horror, thank goodness, because I know what I looked like early in the morning. But she raised one eye and said, you know, I think I could sleep a couple of more hours. There was no doubt in my mind. I started to just pre-record it and phone it in, but I thought that wouldn't be nice. I won't do that. So what does it mean when I say that we as pastors are a little uptight, a little nervous? There's so much to say about Christmas, so much to say about Easter. Those are the two times of the year where the problem is not what to say. The problem problem of the day is when can I get everything shoehorned in? Because there's so much that I want to say, so much I want to tell you about God loving you, giving his son as a present. There's so many things I could say that I get bogged down trying to cover all the bases. So again, the title of the sermon is, Is Christmas Really Come? And what in the world, again, does that mean? What? What do you mean? Is it possible for Christmas not to come? Yes, it is possible for Christmas not to come. In the year 1746, there was a time. No, I'm just kidding. I just made that up to see if you were paying attention. Christmas is always going to come. The world is going to revolve on its axis. It's going to come time for the 25th of December. And until the Lord returns, Christmas, at least the date of Christmas, We'll fall and we'll celebrate. But what do I mean by has Christmas really come? There are millions of people in the world right now. There may be people listening to the sound of my voice, not only inside the sanctuary, but also on the radio, who don't realize that in their life Christmas has really never come. And what I mean by that is Christmas has not changed them. Christmas has not made them different. There are some things that I want you to consider quickly as we meditate upon this this morning. The Christmas season has come and gone. Advent is finished. Christ was born. We celebrated his birthday. And for many of us, that's it. We put a rubber stamp, stamp it finished, file it away, and get ready for the next day. The Christmas season has come and gone. Christmas decorations, you may remember at Halloween, they had skeletons and ghouls and ghosts, and I think I, I declare there were times that I expected to see them wrapped in tinsel and Christmas lights, because we started celebrating Easter and advertising, excuse me, Christmas and advertising Christmas. It seems like before Halloween even gets here, and by Thanksgiving, oh, we're in full blown, full steam. We're running wide open. Santa's already made his appearances at the malls. Mailboxes are stuffed full of advertisements or advertisements, depending on how you say it. In fact, it seems because of COVID last year that more and more attention was paid to Black Friday. Do you know where it got the name Black Friday? That that is a turning point for most major retailers. That one day, the day after Thanksgiving, is called Black Friday for a couple of reasons. Reason number one, we come out of the red. We're no longer in debt. We make enough sales, major retailers, on that day that they can look at the projections for the rest of the year and know that they are going or not going to make money. And another reason it's called Black Friday is it's kind of like the plague. It just comes around. You don't want to get out of the stores. You're going to get run over. You're going to get stepped on. I'll never forget uh, there was a time when Cabbage Patch Dolls, you remember Cabbage Patch Dolls, were all the rage. Unfortunately, we had two daughters who were sure that Cabbage Patch Dolls were exactly what they needed for Christmas and that their world would never be the same if they didn't get one. So, of course, you know what mom and dad did. We did everything possible to make sure they got one. We went to the toy store in the mall that used to be in the mall. They had the gate locked. And I'll never forget, Janice and I separated. She was well-armed. She had a billy club and some mace. No, I thought she needed it by the time it was all said and done. But we were standing there at the gate. They unlocked the gate. The poor little guy who was the manager unlocked the gate and just made a dive backwards to get out of everybody's way. And I found myself being pushed literally by the crowd all the way to the, I couldn't stop, pushed all the way to the back of the store. I think we finally did get a Cabbage Patch doll. I don't know that we got two, but we were able to get them and all was right with the world. But is that what Christmas is about? Is that really what we want to think of when we think about Christmas and Black Friday? 
during the season of the year, we are encouraged to buy things that we can't afford with money we don't have to give presents to people that we're not even sure we like. Now, laugh. It's okay because I, I look at that and I think, that's what we do. We buy presents, go into debt with money we don't have to buy presents for people we're not even sure we like. But we buy them a present and we spend money and then at the end of the month we look at our bills coming due on the credit card or what got taken out of the debit card and we go, ooh, we spent that much? We buy presents for people who are not even sure we like and we're not even sure if they're going to like what we buy them. The social side of Christmas, it's also coming gone. We get dressed up, we go to parties, we have a festive time, we enjoy ourselves with family and friends. People were traveling more this year. COVID-19 just really put a, a damper on travel last year. People are traveling more. People are going to their homes. People are finding ways to go over the woods and through the river to Grandma's house we go. And even if they don't physically get to Grandma's house, at least we're there in our dreams. You remember I preached a sermon three weeks ago when I'll be home for Christmas. At least in our dreams we're there. Did you hear about the man in Salt Lake City? There was a man in Salt Lake City, true story, who several years ago decided to send out 600 Christmas cards. Now, first of all, I would think anybody who sends out 600 Christmas cards is insane. But he decided to send out 600 Christmas cards, but he was going to send them to people he didn't know. And I thought, what, wait a minute, time out. I'm not very smart, but I have a smart wife, and I think she told me you're supposed to send Christmas cards to A, people you know, B, family, and C, people to send you a Christmas card. You want to see people scramble at my house? Let us get a last-minute Christmas card from somebody we didn't send one to. And all of a sudden, we were scrambling around like crazy people trying to find a stamp on a Christmas card. But this man decided to send out 600 Christmas cards to people he didn't know. He got telephone directories from several large cities around Salt Lake City and other states, and he randomly picked names and addresses and sent them Christmas cards. And you're thinking, well, I bet that was strange. What happened? Well, I'm glad you asked. He received 117 responses from total strangers. One lady wrote this on her Christmas cards that she sent back to him. It was so good to hear from you. Your card arrived the day I got home from the hospital, and I can't tell you what an encouragement it was to hear from an old friend. Really? And, and then there was another who wrote that said, I have to admit that when we first received your card, we had a hard time visualizing who we were, but we thought about it a long time, and we finally realized who you are. And by the way, say hello to your father. He's such a nice man. <laughs> There's one that really took the cake. This would be my luck. This couple wrote in and said, it was great to get your Christmas card and to hear from you. It had been so many years since we've heard from you. Next summer, my wife and family and I are going to be in Salt Lake City. Would you mind if we still stayed with you a few days? <laughs> oh, what do you do in a situation like that? We need to be careful who we send Christmas cards, right? But the Christmas season arrived in church also. Beautiful decorations, poinsettias, voices raising song, singing Silent Night by Candlelight. All of the things that we're going to do, food baskets prepared, shoe boxes prepared, carolers singing, a special service celebrated the birth of our Lord and Savior. But has Christmas really come? The earth will make its revolution, as I've already told you. December 25th will be there. But will Christmas really come? Because there are several things that have to happen before Christmas comes. Galatians 4.19 says this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. We talk about being born again as a Christian, and we understand what that terminology means. But may I suggest that Christmas is also a good time to remind us of the need for Jesus to be born again in our lives, our families, and our relationships. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying in somehow in a wonderful way, Christ will be formed, born inside of me, in my heart, in my life. We sing about it in our songs, O little town of Bethlehem, descend on us, we pray. Cast out our sins and enter in. Be born in us today. And lest we forget, he's also called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Folks, 
we have learned to do so many different things over the centuries. We've learned to clean up our air, clean up our water, purify the water we drink. We enrich the food we eat. We genetically modify corn so it grows in places that corn normally would not be able to grow. We've adapted ourselves to technology. We've learned how to program our computers most of the time. We've learned how to operate our smartphones some of the time. We figured out the latest, greatest app for our smartphone. Overall, we've adapted to this modern, technologically savvy world, but we've not learned one thing, how to get along with each other. How, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Really, where did that come from? Where is that? Show me where that is because I want to be there. We have not learned how to be at peace with one another. More than 2,000 years have passed since the first Christmas, and, and even though we're reminded of the message every year, peace on earth, goodwill to men, we still haven't figured it out. We don't know how to be, live in peace with each other. We don't know how to get along with each other. Our greatest need this Christmas is to have Jesus formed in us, to live in us, to show us how to accept and forgive one another, how to get rid of the tensions that divide us, and how to overcome our prejudice. Are we prejudiced? All of us are, in some shape, form, or fashion. If you think you're not, I hate to burst your bubble, but all of us have built-in prejudice in one shape, form, or fact, or the other. So we've not truly learned how to get along with one another because we still carry some of those burdens around. So how does Christmas come? We talk about has Christmas come, how does it come? When you read the Christmas accounts in Matthew and Luke, you read about Mary and Joseph making their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You read about crowds and people who come to pay their taxes. Luke takes us through the whole story of shepherds and angels, Jesus being born, then he is wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. Then he adds something that we could easily miss if we're not careful. He adds a couple of little words that explain something. Because we're all thinking, why is Christ born in a stable, in a manger? Luke answers the question for us, because there was no room in the inn. Now, the innkeeper gets a bad rap. We, in our minds, or at least I, in my mind, have this picture of an innkeeper standing at the door with his back to the door going, no, go away, there's no room in the inn, this gruff ugly, mean, mad almost person. Janice and I do vacations different than most normal people because one thing I've never claimed to be is normal. Uh, we get in the car, point its nose down the highway randomly, and we put it in drive and we just start driving. Now, not always. Sometimes we actually make plans, but I like meandering. You know what meandering is, right? You just kind of wander from antique store to thrift store to whatever store, and we just kind of wander around. The good news, the upside of that is we get to see lots of different places. The downside of that is we get to see lots of different places. You never know what you're going to find. Well, one time, several years ago, we were driving, and it had gotten pretty late. Uh, it was probably pushing 9, 9.30. We were tired. We were ready to go to sleep, so we stopped at a motel, hotel, and it was in a pretty good sized area. And we stopped, walked in, no room at the end. So I thought, well, that's odd. So I went across the street, there was another hotel. Same story, no room. By this time, I'm beginning to get a little nervous. Third hotel, no room at the end. But they did say, oh, by the way, you do know that there's a great big convention in town, and you're probably not gonna find any rooms anywhere in the city. So I go back to the car and I say, good news, honey. We're going to go back to our youth and sleep in the car. We finally found a room, but we found it by going 25 miles almost back in the opposite direction that we had just come from. But even in that situation, the innkeepers weren't ugly to us. I mean, no one met us at the front door and go, there's no room here. Get back in your car. Be gone. No room at the inn. They were really nice about it. They really tried to help us find a room. One even called a couple of places. But in their mind, the innkeeper is this mean, ugly, almost arrogant person. But here's the problem. We're all so busy 
that we become just like the innkeeper. At Christmas, every year, every year, I look at Janice and I say, we're not going to spend as much this year for Christmas. We're going to do things differently. We're going to do this and this and this. Guess what we end up doing? Same thing we've always done, just like most of us do. But we have to understand something. We get so busy that we don't let Christmas come in our lives. We get so busy. Our schedules get so full. But if you don't have time for Jesus, have you really celebrated Christmas? You see, we have to desire Christ to come into our lives. There's something that has to happen before Christmas really comes. We have to want, desire, seek for God to come into our lives. There's a part of me that wants him to come. I want his blessings. But I'm not sure I want his cross. Think about that for just a moment. I want the blessings of God, but I really don't think I want to be nailed to the cross like him. But yet, there's a song that says, take up your cross and follow Jesus. It goes like this. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Take up your cross every day. But do we do that? No. We, we like the baby Jesus. Makes a great Christmas card. And people look at it and see the baby Jesus with the angels and the shepherds and later on the wise men. And we look at him and we go, aw, isn't that, isn't that beautiful? But we don't want the Jesus who hang on, hung on the cross. We're too busy for that. I want God's forgiveness, but I don't want his judgment. I want God's salvation, but I'm not sure I want to serve. I want a Savior, but I'm not sure I want to be told what I have to do. But as I read the Bible, I'm convinced that the one thing Jesus teaches over and over and over and over again is that if you don't desire the kingdom of God with everything you have and everything you could accomplish and everything that you could want to accumulate, you don't really desire the kingdom of God. Christmas will never really come in your life. There's a couple of short parables in Matthew chapter 13. There's a parallel in, other, in one of the other gospels. But one of the parables talks about the pearl of great price. What does it say? It's very short, just a couple of verses. It says, as of a man, there was a man who was seeking and searching for a pearl of great price, the most beautiful, the most perfect pearl that existed. And he spent his life going from town to town, merchant to merchant, trying to find the pearl of great price, the perfect pearl. Didn't have much luck until finally one day he walks into a business, the merchant brings out his inventory, and he puts in the center of the counter the most perfect, the most beautiful pearl that you've ever seen. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So the man walked into there, and he looked at the merchant and said, how much would you take for the pearl? The man said, everything you have. What do you mean? Everything I have. Well, that's what it will cost you. This pearl will cost you everything you have. Well, the man had accumulated other pearls and other pieces of gold and silver and emeralds and diamonds and rubies, and he had them in a sack. And he said, it takes everything I have, all of the riches I've accumulated for this one pearl. And he tries to talk him down. And the merchant says, no, every time he makes an offer. The man says, would you take this? And the merchant goes, no. Would you, well, how about this? No. Until finally the merchant probably was thinking, what part of no don't you understand? Is there, is there a gap here in our language understanding? Until finally the man takes his bag of valuables, he puts it on the counter, and he says, I'll pay it. And he walks out rejoicing with the pearl of great price, even though it had cost him everything that he had. How do you think God felt? How do you think God felt? On Christmas 
knowing that he had sent his only, as Savannah told us already, his only begotten son for me. What's it going to cost for my soul? Everything God had. Think about that. What's it going to cost me to obtain this pearl of great price, this salvation? Everything that I have, everything that I am. It goes on in those parables in Matthew 13. It talks about a man who found a field and there was treasure hidden in the field. And he buries the treasure back again. Kind of a strange little parable. He buries the treasure back again. He goes and he borrows the money. He comes and he buys the land. Because then the treasure belongs to him. But again, it's an emphasis on giving everything that we have to God in order to obtain those things which he wants to give us. When I was young, 12, 13, 14, that, that period of time in my life, grew up on a farm. Dad was, I guess you would call him a gentleman farmer. He definitely couldn't have made a living on, on the uh, 100 acres of land he had. But he liked to piddle. That wasn't his vocation, but he liked to farm. His dad, my grandfather, my mom's dad, my other grandfather, lived close to us, right, literally right across the road. And they both were pretty good-sized farmers. But Dad did something that my grandparents didn't do. He raised horses. Uh, I don't know how he got into that particular business. But at one time, we had 14 horses. If you know anything about horses, there are two things you'll know. One, they eat a lot. Two, somebody has to feed them. Well, I got elected, selected, nominated. And I would get up every morning. I am not a morning person. In fact, I was almost 40 years old before I realized, May, uh, Marvin, that there were two six o'clocks in one day. I thought the only time six o'clock came was at, at supper time. And then I found out that this is six o'clock in the morning, too, and I don't like mornings. But I would get up, and I'd go with Dad, and we'd feed those horses because when it was really cold, we'd keep them in the barn. Well, there are pictures that come to mind. There are thoughts that come to mind. Probably the same way that you would if you thought about your childhood. I remember going with Dad, carrying buckets of corn and sweet feed, breaking open bales of hay and spreading out, mucking out the stalls. I remember the smell of the animals. I remember the steam coming up off the ground where the horses stayed. And as I remember that picture, I'm drawn back to a time in my life when I wasn't so busy, when I was young. But I'm also drawn to remember something. Those people who came into the manger, Mary, Joseph, the wise men later, the shepherds, all of those who came to see the baby Jesus walked through the door of a manger and had been stripped of everything that was arrogant. They were humbled. There's an old saying that says the ground is level at the foot of the cross. It is. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. What in the world does that mean? It simply means this. There's no one better than another at the foot of the cross. In the eyes of God, we're all the same. We're sinners who need to be saved by the grace of God. God stripped away all the arrogance and all the things that stand between us and God and all of our arrogance and pride and said, you can't come and look at the baby Jesus if you're looking down your nose at someone else. And through the doors of that stable come cows and sheep and livestock and Mary and Joseph and each one of us. We come to worship him, born Christ in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And without anything to brag about, we come humbly to stand before him and say, here I am, Lord, use me. And suddenly those thoughts of not wanting to take up the cross disappear because I realize that if it means take up my cross, and it does, then that's exactly what I want to do. I want to please God. I don't want to please someone else. I want to be able to say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Have I always been that way? No. Am I standing before you to be an example of what you should strive to be like? Oh, no, 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 no. 
I'm standing before you hoping that what you see is me hidden behind the cross. What you really see in me is Christ Jesus. Because I'm no better or no worse than anyone else. Just a sinner telling other sinners where to find bread. One beggar telling another beggar who both are starving where they can be fed. Have you ever thought about it that way? I know you've heard that before. But have you ever thought that when you leave this place, what you are is a beggar telling another beggar, every person you come into contact with, every person you see, every person you talk to, one beggar, me, you, us, telling another beggar, them, where to find the bread of life. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're supposed to do. I think that when we know Christmas has really come, it'll take some broken hearts, some broken wills to be Christ to be born again in us. So this morning as we say goodbye to Christmas, we're in that betwixt and between week where Christmas is over, we're not ready to celebrate New Year's yet, and the New Year hasn't started. So we're kind of twiddling our thumbs, treading water, and we stand up on the cusp of a new year. I want to leave you with something. Has Christmas really come in your life? Are you a Christian, a Christ follower? This may sting a little bit. But when we look around the sanctuary today, and realize there's way too many empty seats, we should be convicted. We should be convinced. We should be moved, motivated, changed to do something, anything, to tell others about Jesus Christ. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I understand that. As the old saying goes, I'm preaching to the ones who are here. They're here. Why do I need to preach to them? Because we desperately need, more than anything else, to go out into a world that, as I told you Friday night, is lost and dying and darkened and realize there is nothing that stands between us and Jesus Christ except our pride and our arrogance. God has done everything possible to free us from a life of sin. He's done everything possible to make it possible for you to gain eternity. He's made, done everything possible to make it possible for you to spend eternity with him. And so right now I extend that invitation. You may think, well, I'm already a Christ follower. Okay. Then who are you going to tell about Jesus today? Because you see, if you're truly a Christ follower, that should be the crowning glory of your life. That I am a follower of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I will do anything, everything possible to tell the world about him. And to bring them in. Not so that Brother Keith can save them. Heaven forbid that you should ever even begin to think that. There's nothing good about me. I again... I'm just like you, a sinner saved by grace, standing at the foot of the cross and wondering what can I do to bring my brothers and sisters to know more about him. Pray with me. Has Christmas really come? Yeah, it's December 26th. Of course Christmas came. It came yesterday. Has Christmas really come? Yes, we, we have presents under the tree. We opened them last night. Has Christmas really come? Yes, we, we went to visit our children. Has Christmas really come? Yes, we had a party. Has Christmas really come? Yes, a thousand times yes. I've already told you, Christmas has already come. Not really. A date on the calendar has been met. But Christmas, Christ, Christ Mass, which is what Christmas really is, Christ Mass. Christ is still waiting to be born into our hearts and our minds, as Galatians 4.19 told us. 
Paul says, I still suffer from childbirth. Doing whatever it takes to have Christ be born in you. When people leave this place, when we leave this place, can the world look at us and see anything different? Or do they look at us and go, huh, I don't see any difference. Help us to live differently. Help us to be different. Help us to be ready to tell the world the hope that is within us. And so we can answer in the affirmative the question, has Christmas come? Lord, be with us and watch over us and keep us. May your face shine upon us and give us peace. We ask it in your name. Amen. Please stand and join when we sing, Go Tell It on the Mountain. enthusiasm and gusto. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. But do we shout it from the mountain? Or do we hide it away from the world? Embarrassed, ashamed of Christ maybe? Embarrassed to seem like a fanatic and tell others about Jesus? Embarrassed to be talking about this Christ? What will people think? Will they look at us strangely? But yet we sing with gusto, go tell it on the mountain. And we can't even whisper it in the alleys. Shame on us. Help us to understand that we are called to be witnesses and to tell the world. Lord, as we pray this day, help us to be filled with power. Help us to be filled with energy. Help us to tell the world. Help us to go tell it on the mountain. To shout it at the top of our lungs. Jesus Christ is born this day. And he has brought with him the great gift of salvation. We ask, Lord, these things in your name. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in whose name we pray. And together the people say, Amen. Oh.